The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. What have you said to me recently? Recently. Rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative Word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Thursday morning. And uh, yes, we are live, but I'm going to be playing an interview that I did with Pastor Chuck Baldwin uh, in just a little bit, and I'm going to be making comments on both sides. So we we were only supposed to have him for 30 minutes, and he got on a roll, and we had him for 40. So uh, we may go over a little bit. So if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you want to check us out on the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com and uh, scroll down on the right side of the page, and you will see we're streaming right there, second video down. We're also on... Before it's news.com, top of the page there. We're on DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. We're also on Twitch at Setting Brush Fires. And then sort of our flagship right now is Rumble 
Find us over there at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And uh, you can join us in there. We even have a chat over there in on Rumble, too. And I dropped that in the... Um, in the chat of all the other groups that we send out to on the video platform. But you can check us out there. Blow that uh, video up on your device on sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then click on the platform icon. Join us in the chat. Love to have you there. Uh, lots of friends in there this morning. This is a very, 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 did you get it? A very important topic that we're going to talk about. And yes, we're going to rock some people's boats. Okay. Some people are going to get mad because you've been taught wrong. Uh, but as you go through what we're going to go through, you should see what's going on. Anyway, if uh, right above that is where Bradley Show is from yesterday. You can catch that. And then also uh, be sure to um, uh, catch him at 3 p.m. Eastern today. All right. So he'll be on later on today. That'll go live. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter there right above where the videos are. And then if you want to support our work, there's a donate button at the top of the page. Click on that, make a one-time donation, or become a partner with us as a son or daughter of liberty. That is also at the top of the page. And then our store is available. And again, this week we're highlighting Bradley's Deadlock Drum Pad. Uh, it's a it's a metronome for drummers. So if you want to pick up one of these, you've got a drummer in your life, you got somebody who wants to play drums, or you got uh, a kid with too much energy, <laughs> get him some drumsticks. Pick this up. It's normally $60. You can get it for 50% off, 50% off, um, with the promo code DRUMS, D-R-U-M-S, at a checkout in our store, uh, now through Saturday night at midnight. It goes off Saturday at midnight, so if you want to get it, now's the time to do that. Now, <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about Daniel chapter 9, and specifically, we're going into... Uh, verses 21 through 27. Now, listen, for a lot of, of church history, hundreds of years, men understood the gist of what this was getting at. It was a prophecy about the Christ, the Messiah. Okay? That's what it's about. Within the past 200 years, we've had what... You've heard me refer to dispensationalism. If you guys haven't been getting into that, you need to do it. You need to understand what is dispensationalism. Well, dispensationalism encompasses a number of things. One, it says Old Testament is for the Old Testament. I mean, Old Testament law, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, that's, that's for the Old Testament. Unless it's reiterated in the New Testament, blah, 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 it's not valid. What, what bull feathers? No, Lynn says something else. I forget what she says. Anyway, the point is, is that it is not. They also say, oh, Israel in the Old Testament, nation-state, is the same as it is today. It's a nation-state. No, it is not. It is ne Look, we'll get into some of this in just a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to read the passage. I want to make a couple of comments, and then we're going to play the interview I had with uh, Pastor Baldwin, and then I'll make comments after that, too, because I think I've got some important comments that I want people to see. And you know... Uh, Pastor Baldwin and I agree. He he. We disagree on kind of where that ends and all, but we got the gist of and and we can agree on the fact that all of these seventy weeks run together. There is no gap. You can't find it in Scripture. It is made up. It is a figment of someone's imagination, but it is not part of the Word of God. And so we're not looking out in the future for seven year a seven year tribulation or any of this kind of stuff. We're not doing that. We believe. 
the Bible is clear that these 70 weeks run congruent. In fact, I had um, an image that uh, I'll, if I can find, yeah, if I can, here it is. I want to show the audience, at least the video audience here, that someone's made. And you can basically see Daniel's 70 weeks, there's 69 of them, where there's a command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem. That goes up until the time that Jesus is baptized, the time he comes on the scene to start his earthly ministry. In the midst of the last seven weeks, he's crucified. And we'll, we'll talk about that as to how I know or why I believe that is the midst of the week that we're going to read here in a moment. And then Stephen is stoned in, you know, three and a half years later, and that's when all of the believers start to spread out through all of Asia. Okay? Asia Minor. So this is kind of a you know one of these timelines like the dispensationalists use, except we're showing exactly what Scripture points to here. Okay, all right. So that's that's my little deal there. So let's look at let's take a look at Daniel chapter nine and the verses that we're talking about. Now, Pastor Baldwin's going to go into more detail about this, but let me get let me just give you the gist. Daniel has been praying from the first of Daniel chapter nine because he's been reading Jeremiah. And he knows that that the people of Israel are going to be in Babylon for 70 years. He knows that. And so he begins to pray, hey, 70 years are almost up. Lord, you know, (laughs) let the people go. He begins to confess his sins, the sins of his people. How do you like that? How do you like that? A man of God who we don't read sinned one time is in there confessing his sins and the sins of his people. Look, if you're around a, a man of God, that man of God will recognize his sin. He will. The, the more he walks with God, what is God doing? Putting his finger on his sin, constantly refining him, calling him to repentance in different areas. And once he repents of that area, he's going to another area. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, and let's, let's pick it up because uh, Daniel's praying that God will let his people go. Now, you're, you're going... Well, God said he was going to let it go. Why is he praying that? The same reason that Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven? Of course it is. Of course it is. But we're to pray for that. Okay? So here we go. This is um, verse 21 of Daniel chapter 9. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning... Because uh, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. This is where the evening sacrifice is taking place. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. How do you like that? Just one moment. Let me make a comment about that. You've got an angel of the Lord, Gabriel. This is the guy who comes to Mary and tells her about the incarnation. He's telling her that she's going to be carrying the Son of God. And he comes to Daniel, and what does he say? You're greatly beloved. Now, wouldn't you like to get that message from God, from one of his angels? Well, we don't have to because the Bible says that God has demonstrated his love to us in this, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, okay? Therefore, 
Going back to the passage. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks. Now, these weeks are weeks of years. And again, if you go back into the Old Testament, what you find is sevens are how the week is laid out. Seven are how the, the years are laid out. Um, every seventh year you're to, to, is to be a Sabbath unto the Lord. You're not to work the land and all this. And this is why Israel got in, into trouble in, in the first place. And we're going to let Pastor Baldwin get into that. But just so you know, so we're talking about 70 times 7. Those of you familiar with the Bible, what, is, what does Peter say? He says, am I, am I to give, forgive my brother seven times? No, Jesus says 70 times 7. So this is not a unique thing. This is something that is is contained all throughout Scripture. So just so you understand, this would be, instead of, we would think of it this way. When he says 70 weeks, we want to think 490 years. Okay? 70 times 7. They're determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do six things, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, when were these things done? Well, they were done during the ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his coronation. When he went and sat down on the right hand of God as king, with the glory he had with the Father before the world began, John 17, that's what he prayed for. That's, this all took place then. He then says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Now this, this command is, happens in Ezra, okay? and there is a command to go and rebuild the city and the wall. And you've heard me talk about the sword and the trowel, which uh, Spurgeon got his uh, title for his newsletter from where the people fought off, were ready to... Uh, <laughs> I'll have it in the archive, Mr. Wordsworth. Uh, I'll have it there, and uh, you can check it out. But um, <clears throat> in any case, they were to be prepared to fight off, and they were also building. We talked about this with Matt Trujella as well. So he says, this is going to happen, and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, that's 49 years, and three score in two weeks. That's the rest of that leading up to 483 total. So that leaves the uh, final seven weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troubles, troublous times. And after the three score in two weeks, that's the second part of that. That's I know it gets confusing, but if you take it real close, you just put the seven weeks that he just mentioned, the three score in two weeks together, you get 483 years. So let's let's understand it the way it's put in there. After 483 years, that's what that would be, verse 26, shall Messiah, now who's the Messiah? That's Christ, right? We're not talking about Antichrist. Be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, everybody wants to say, or not everybody, some people want to say in a dispensational frame of mind, is this prince here is Antichrist. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is Titus Vespasian. He's the guy who comes in and destroys the city. You're going to hear more about that in my interview with Baldwin. He'll destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he, now who is the passage about? It's about the Christ, right? It's about what he's going to do. So who is he? It's not Antichrist. If you attribute this to Antichrist, you're attributing to Antichrist what is Christ. And boy, that's a real bad error. That's a real heresy is what it is. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. 
or for seven years. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, with that said, I'm going to go ahead because... We're going to run right up against the show here for the interview, and I'm going to take just a few minutes to make a couple of comments after. So again, if you want to pick up uh, after you know the radio show ends on Red State Talk Radio, jump over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right side of the page, BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page, or Rumble. I'm going to promote just those three this time, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Here is Pastor Baldwin, and uh, yeah, I think this is going to be very eye-opening for many people Here's Pastor Baldwin and the interview we conducted yesterday. Okay, all right, we have with us a very special guest. He's been to the show uh, several times, Pastor Chuck Baldwin. He is the pastor of Liberty Fellowship out there in Kalispell, Montana. And uh, he's joining us today because I had heard about him doing some things on prophecy, uh, that he was finally getting around to to really getting into that. And uh, recently he spoke on Daniel chapter 9, which to me is a linchpin, a pillar, if you will, to tear out from the dispensational eschatology that's been re- pulled over a theology. And so I asked him if he would join us today. So he's got about 30 minutes he's going to spend with us today. And I want to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Pastor Chuck Baldwin. Welcome, man. Yeah, it's good to be with you again, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you here, and uh, I'm excited about this. One, I've got a couple of questions, and one of the questions I want to ask is, you're a guy who was trained in a seminary within the yeah. dispensational kind of concept construct, right. and it's interesting. I, I'm really curious as to what was it that, especially looking at Daniel chapter 9, what is it in that changed for you? What, what was the blow that came that began to that, that opened your eyes that Daniel chapter nine had nothing to say about Antichrist. It had everything to do with speaking about Christ. Yeah. Well, the only way to answer that is is to try in a brief moment of time here to help people understand that this was not an overnight uh, revelation. Uh, didn't I didn't see a, a you know a sign or or have a vision or you know, anything like that. It was this was a very long, drawn out work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Now imagine I'm I'm teaching and preaching dispensational futurism for over 30 years. Now I attended two Bible colleges on campus and then did postgraduate work online. And in the two that I attended on on campus, they both taught the premillennial dispensationalism, and so I, I was ensconced in what we now know as Christian Zionism, and I taught that in my first pastorate for over three decades. But Tim, in about 2007, God began doing a work in my heart. Every time I would mention anything to do with Israel-based prophecy, I would get this strong sense in my spirit that something wasn't right. At first, I dismissed it. But then after weeks and months of this, I knew this was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And I began to realize that what I had been teaching was an error. You know, unlearning something is much harder than learning something. Amen. One of the the hardest things that we can do, especially as grown adults, is to unlearn something. 
And I was in my 50s at this point. And, and so to unlearn a lifetime of theological interpretation was a massive job. But I, my heart was open. I've always wanted to be a true seeker. I've always wanted to know the truth. So I told the Lord in my heart and soul in prayer, and I said, if this is not true, then please show me that it isn't true, and then show me what is true. So for that process, I began to study his word. And at, at this point, let me say that, you know, I'd been trained and schooled in all this. So I had read all the books that, you know, that you could read relative to this kind of a thing. And I've, I'd read the, the the different variances and, and, and so forth of, of interpretation. So I'd, I'd studied the, the books. I'd studied the words of men. So for this, I had to be taught by God. There was just no other way I could learn it. So I just, for the next several years, I just searched his word and his word alone and in prayer asked God to show me. And he began to unveil to me the truth of Israel. And that's where it begins. You know, everybody wants to, to jump headlong into prophecy. I don't know what it is. I, I think, well, I think I do, but it's a, it's a shame because even new Christians, they'll, they'll get saved, they'll trust the Lord as Savior, and then right away they're going to want to go into the book of Revelation. They want to study prophecy. Well, have they studied the book of Doctrine, the great book of, of Romans, uh, the great right. book of Galatians? Have you studied the life of Christ and the Gospels? You know, have you studied the history of the church and the book of Acts? You know, they haven't, but they want to go right into prophecy. And then they get bogged down in all kinds of outlandish, bizarre interpretations that are not predicated on anything except the opinions of man. And we have to understand that prophecy doesn't exist in a vacuum. It doesn't sit out there in a cloud in the air as a separate doctrine. You have all the rest of the Bible, and you've got this prophecy stuff floating out there in a cloud they all we want to talk about prophecy is predicated it's built upon the foundation of biblical truth relative to israel and if you don't understand the biblical truth relative to israel there is no way no way you're going to be able to properly understand bible prophecy because bible prophecy depends upon the proper understanding of israel and that's the problem with all these TV preachers and radio evangelists and all these things you read about and hear about, all of their prophecy doctrines are predicated on an Israel-based understanding of eschatology. And as long as you have an Israel-based premise from which to approach prophecy, you're, you're, you're off base. You, you, you've, you're in error before you even start. It, prophecy is not Israel-based, Tim. Prophecy is Jesus-based. That's right. And, in, and until people start beginning to understand the difference in how to interpret prophecy based upon the Jesus version of, of prophecy and not the Israel version of prophecy, only then will you begin to, to see properly prophetic uh, doctrines. So I had to go through, this was 2007, so I began preaching at Liberty Fellowship in Montana here in 2014 what we now call the Israel Packages. We have three Israel Packages, 31 messages, that took me six years to put together, bit by bit, piece by piece, 
And so that's the foundation for the question that we're talking about today in the book of Daniel. So, so I, I go all that to say that because everybody wants a everybody wants a quick understanding. They they want to get it all down, you know, from Revelation, and they're not willing to study what the Bible says about Israel and get that firmly based in their hearts, so then they can understand the basic fundamental teachings of Israel. So that's the I mean a prophecy. So that's the process I had to go through to get to where I am today. So when I finished the Israel packages. Then I said, okay, we're going to start teaching prophecy, but we're going to do it the same way we taught about Israel. We're going to take it slow and methodical, step by step. And I've preached two of those messages so far, and the one you're talking about on Daniel chapter 9 is the second of that prophecy message series. So the the thing with Daniel, it wasn't just a revelation about Daniel, to answer your question, it was it was a revelation in my heart about the entire panorama of the biblical truth regarding Israel. Yeah, sure. Once you understand that, then the details such as Daniel's prophecy become very clear. So the, so that's I think the way that people have got to understand the approach to this subject. Yeah, I, I agree. I come from something similar, except I wasn't in seminary, but I was taught a lot of the eschatology. I remember as a new Christian being just like what you said. I was fascinated by it. And I think I think it has a lot to do with we just innately want to know what the future holds. We don't want to we don't really want to trust God with the future. We want to kind of know it for ourselves. And so I think that's what drive at least that's my understanding, what drives a lot of people and why they wanna why they want to study prophecy and this, that, and the other. But you're exactly right. It's Christ-centered, and I remember hearing you in that message saying that, and I thought, that's very clever, uh, a statement to say it's not a based on Israel, it's based upon the Christ. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pre-recording uh, the interview you and I are doing, but uh, I'm going to have, and I don't even know why I'm going to say this, but we're, we're, we're going to read Daniel 9 before this so that people know. But uh, just let's hit on a couple of things, and I don't want to make a practical, I want you to make a practical application for people, because I think Daniel chapter 9, apart from Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 about the Olivet Discourse about the destruction of Jerusalem, I think Daniel chapter 9 is one of those things that if there are people that say, Give me, ev- show me evidence about Jesus and him being the Messiah, this is one that pins point, pins point it down to the day. And yep. can you give people kind of in a nutshell what Daniel chapter 9 is saying? Yeah. Uh- Daniel was was reading the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, of course, was very succinct, clear, and pointed regarding the coming Babylonian captivity upon the the people of of Judah. And he had predicted that 70-year captivity in, in vivid detail. And so Daniel was studying that. And, and was praying about it, and you read that in Daniel chapter 1. And he was confessing the sins of, of Israel that had caused God to put them into bondage. And one of the, I guess one of the first points we have to understand when you, when you talk about the, understanding the, uh, the book of Daniel in general and, and the 70-week prophecy in, in particular is that 
most evangelical Christians have the misunderstanding that God made an everlasting covenant with the nation of Israel, the Old Testament nation of Israel. And that is not true. God made an unconditional covenant, an everlasting covenant with Abraham, the man that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the, and the New Testament is replete with that, especially the book of Galatians. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the unconditional promises that God gave to Abraham. And those promises were, were fulfilled in Christ, and now they're fulfilled in the body of Christ, the, the New Testament church. And so that was an everlasting covenant. But the covenant that God gave to the nation of Israel was was not unconditional. It was very conditional. And when you, you go back into the Torah, to the law, and you can see this over and over and over again. But but let me take the time to read just a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 20. Listen, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, if you disobey, if you do not listen and obey me, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all of these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall be uh, shall thou be in the city. Cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shalt thou be in the basket in the store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, the the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. Okay? That's Deuteronomy chapter 28. That's Moses telling the people of Israel, if you do not obey God, God will remove from you his blessing, his promise. He will curse you. He will judge you. And he will do this until you either repent and come back to him or until you are totally annihilated and destroyed, which, of course, we know was the latter. And so this prophecy in the book of Daniel, when the angel Gabriel came to him, and as he was praying and and as he was saying all these things that we read in in the first part of chapter 1, the angel appears to him and says, okay, here is, here is the vision that God is going to give you relative to what you're asking, uh, asking me about Israel. So basically, he, he tells, uh, in, in, a, in a nutshell, he tells Daniel that Israel is going to have a restoration. There's going to be a deliverance, that there's going to be a, a, a revitalized nation again. After the 70 years of the, of the Babylonian captivity is completed, there's going to be a remnant under Zerubbabel that's going to go into Jerusalem, and through Nehemiah and Ezra, they're going to rebuild the city, they're going to rebuild the walls, and a remnant of the people are going to, again, know God, and they're going to worship God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he tells him this, and then he, then he tells him, but it, unfortunately, the children of Israel are going to, again, rebel against me. They're going to do what they've been doing for all these hundreds and hundreds of years. They, they, they repent for a while, and then they fall back into idolatry and iniquity. And they're going to do this again. And this time, I'm going to utterly destroy them. And he, he, he writes in, in verse 926, 
uh, about the desolation that's going to come upon Israel. And you can compare that with Jeremiah's declaration against the Babylonians. He uses the same exact word, desolation, the same word that God used to describe the destruction of the Babylonian Empire. He used to describe the destruction of Israel in this prophecy in, in chapter 9 and verse 26. So then he begins to tell me about the 70 weeks that are determined upon the people and the holy city, which is in verse 24. And of course, this and this is something else that people don't understand. They did to, I, I, I went all these classes I took in college, and I never one time heard this. And I, I bet you there's probably not one person out of a hundred that's that's listening to us right now that has ever heard this. But this is so important to the understanding the interpretation of Daniel's prophecy. The 490 years, the 70 times 7, that was God is, is pronouncing upon Israel through this prophecy. That God did just, didn't just make up that, that uh, number of years. How, where did that come from? Oh, I think I'll just, okay, 490 years, 70 times 70, 70 times 7. So, okay, 490 years are determined. Measured, the word determined means measured, measured out by God. Where did 490 come from? Why not 480? Why not, you know, 500? What, why 490? The reason for that was because, Tim, for 490 years previous to the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish elders refused to acknowledge God's law, and they would not submit to the law of the Sabbath year, which means there was 490 continuous years where there was no Sabbath year. There was no year of Jubilee. Uh, there was no Day of Atonement. So think about it. Of, of all of the sins that Israel could have committed during this period of time, you say, what caused God to drive them into captivity under the Babylonian Empire? It was because of this. I mean, the, the holiest part of the law was the Sabbath year and the, and the year of Jubilee and the Day of Atonement, which, of course, all pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for them to go 490 years and not obey and submit to that law of God incensed God and brought him to the point of, A, number one, putting them in a 70-year judgment under, under uh, Babylon, and then, two, giving Daniel the 70-year prophecy, which would ultimately lead to the destruction of Israel at Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So the 490 years is, is the, of, of the 70-year prophecy, which is 490 years, 70-week prophecy, which is directly measured by the 490 years of their disobedience. Are you following me? Yep, yep, I'm right in, I'm right in line with you. Okay, so, there, so this, this, this just wasn't something that God pulled out of the air. 490 years was specific to their disobedience. And so that was what predicated the 70-week prophecy. And, and, if you, and the biggest fault of, of evangelicals in, in terms of Daniel's prophecy is between the 69th and the 70th year, between the 483-year uh, fulfillment and then the final 490-week fulfillment, they put a gap. They, they invent I should say, they invent a gap of thousands of years. Now, if, if anybody is reading Daniel's prophecy, verses 24 through 27, and you come to that, that part of the end of the, 
of the 69th week, and you keep reading, there is no way in this world that anybody is going to naturally think that there's a gap of thousands of years in between there. That's, it's so ludicrous. It's unbelievable that I, I agree. fell for that. For, for all those years, I believe that. I believe it because I was taught it by some DD or some PhD. I believe it because somebody taught me that. It wasn't the Lord that taught me that. It wasn't the Bible that taught me that. It was some man that taught me that. You have to invent. And the reason they, the reason they invent that gap is because that allows them to put a seven-year tribulation in the book of Revelation relative to Bible prophecy. And you say, where did the seven-year tribulation come from? Well, the seven-year tribulation came from Daniel's prophecy. The seven, seven years, which is the 70th week, the last seven years of Daniel's 70th week. And so that's where they got the seven years for, for the tribulation. So they invented this so they could put the seven-year tribulation into the book of Revelation. You take away that seven-year, 70th week of Daniel, and you destroy the seven-year tribulation of, of prophetic revelation. So the, the, that's why it's so important to these people that they maintain that gap. And I, I, I got to tell you that I really believe that there was, at the beginning of all of this, that there was some of the occult involved in this. Um, I sensed that after I began doing this study in depth, and it, my spirit began to realize the depth of the error of this, and I realized that, man, this is not just a simple misinterpretation. There's a lot of interpretations of prophecy that, you know, I mean, the nuances that, that we have, where the, whether we're amillennial or, or postmillennial or, or whether we're, um, you know, Christian Reconstruction or you know, whatever, there are so many different interpretations that, okay, they're interpretations. And, and, and they don't really do great injustice to the overall truth of, of Christ. And, and so you can live with, with those differences. And it, it's not major. But when you, what, what we're talking about with, with this premillennial dispensationalism is so bizarre. It's so out of sync with the entire body of Scripture. And, and not only that, but it's an assault against the person of Christ himself. <laughs> so I'm going 100 miles an hour here. But when you, when you read the... Daniel seventy week prophecy the way the dispensationalists do the most evangelicals it's really a sacrilege because they apply the passages of scripture that deal with Christ in verse twenty six and twenty seven and they apply that to the antichrist this is this is in my mind borders on blasphemy yes this this is a great prophecy, a messianic prophecy God gave to Daniel through the, the angel Gabriel. This is all about anointing the Holy One, verse 24. It, it's all about Jesus. It, it's all about his office, his, his, his high priestly work, his redemption on the cross, his, you know, his salvation, uh, his, his office as prophet, priest, and king. It's all about glorifying Jesus Christ. The, the entire prophecy is about Christ. And then they turn around in the middle of that, and they invent this, this 
this uh, Antichrist in the seven-year tribulation period, and they totally miss, A, the measurement that God used for the 490 years, which were the 490 concurrent years of disobedience of Israel leading up to the, the Babylonian captivity. And then they applied to Jesus, the Messiah, to the, to the Antichrist. Now, there, you know, there's something in the, in the New Testament about that, <laughs> about applying to uh, uh, Antichrist, the thing that belongs that's to right. Christ. That's right, that's so, right. So that's why I say there, there's, there is a definite, I believe in a cult in this. And it's interesting to me that the, and I said in the message that we're talking about, that we do have online, it's on DVD, and I hope people will get it and watch it and, and watch it again. Yeah, I'll, put it, I'll link it up uh, in the archives later this morning. Thank you. The, the first known public presentation of a rapture theory was in 1830. This, this, making this event contemporary with Darby, John Darby, in Glasgow, Scotland, in a prophecy conference, a woman named Margaret MacDonald went into a trance and trance-channeled the two-stage appearance of Christ. Now, anybody who has studied the occult is familiar with the preeminent of trance channeling. So this was the very first public um, uh, presentation of a two-stage appearance of Christ, the rapture first and then the second coming later. That was never, ever taught by any Bible scholar, by any Bible teacher, by any pastor uh, throughout church history until 1830. John Darby picked it up, and he made the entire doctrine of of premillennial dispensationalism out of it. C.I. Schofield picked it up, put it in the Schofield Reference Bible, and through that, it completely spread across North America and all of our seminaries, especially Dallas Theological Seminary, is the the, uh, headquarters, I guess, the unofficial headquarters of this doctrine. And it... Almost all, every evangelical, two-thirds of all evangelical churches and Christians and pastors believe in this stuff. But it's all predicated on error, and it's predicated upon applying to Antichrist what is Christ's. It's the basis of not understanding the measured desolation that God used to come up with the 490 concurrent years. It's inventing a a gap that does not exist in order to accommodate a false teaching of man relative to prophecy. It's created an entire prophetic industry. When you think of the, the millions and millions of dollars that have been made on books and 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 DVDs and all kinds of movies now, devices. movies Pardon now, me? movies Movie. now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at look at Left Behind. You know how many millions of dollars did did that did that book uh, generate? You know, and look at these TV evangelists. Pick pick any one of them. You know, you'll go to your cable television and you've got channel after channel after channel after channel of religious programming, and ninety percent of the religious programming is all Israel based. Uh, dispensationalist prophecy teaching. That's 90% of it. And and the millions of dollars that these guys like Creflo Dollar and, and Hagee and all these guys are generating from gullible, innocent people that do not understand the Bible. They are ignorant of the truth, and they're being taught by these charlatans, and, and they're sending all this money 
I mean, this has become a multi-trillion dollar industry, all predicated upon an error, and I believe even a demonically inspired error. I, I I've said a lot. Tim, take it away. Yeah. Well, the, you know, Pastor, you're saying that about the money. It's not just it's it's become a moneymaker. Look, I, I pulled up a thing. While you're talking, I'm pulling up all kinds of scriptures. I'm probably going to speak on that after I play this interview here uh, on Thursday. But one of the things that got me was here recently, I was skimming through some things that had some some films on it. And one of them was called The Remaining. Now, this is when I saw it and I kind of read the thing where people are dis- they're, they're, they're not disappearing. These people are just dying all at once. The life is just sucked out of them. So they, they're taking a spin off the left behind where everybody just disappears and their clothes are left behind. They're taking where all these people just die and these people are left behind. And uh, then all of a sudden you get the, the spiritual kind of construct to it where they're saying, oh, one girl's trying to tell them, you know, I'm. I'm going to, or I, I didn't believe them when the church, this is about the rapture, and then they start opening their Bibles, and their Bibles start disintegrating. There's no gospel in it, and the ultimate message is, if you're left behind, if you're left behind from their, what they call the rapture, if you're left behind by that, well then, the message to you is, you have to choose God. That's the message. It's no, There's no gospel, there's no Christ, there's no redemption, so what these guys have spun off in their error has flaked out to where it, I mean, at least, at least many of those guys would say somebody has to repent of their sin and turn to Christ. They don't even have that in this thing, and it is, it's absolutely incredible. Now, one of the things, and we're not going to hang up on, on, you know, get hung up on the the issue. I disagree a little bit with you on the issue of the, you know, confirming the covenant in the middle, because I see like uh, Luke chapter three twenty three, uh, Jesus began to be about thirty years of age. We know he had a ministry for three and a half years. And then we see right before he is he is put to death, he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup in my blood is of the new covenant or the New Testament shed for many for the remission of sins. But but the thing I like that you pointed out was this all runs together. Daniel's prophecy is all run together. Antichrist is not there. And yet we have all kinds of people saying trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist out of Daniel chapter nine and other places alike. They're trying to do that thing. And they're they're taking they're stealing the glory from Christ and from His work, and that was the thing. When you said that, I'm like, "Yep." That as long as you get that right there, I think you get the gist of what God is uh, is saying through Gabriel to Daniel there. Correct, and that that is the most egregious part of the error. Is just what you said is that they're taking. The glory away from Christ. They are not giving him the majesty and and the power that that he deserves in all of this. And they they are inventing it to a point that they are completely distorting a very clear, what should be very clear and forthright presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in in verse twenty four, it was you know it was very very uh, succinct and very pointed, you know, that this was all about uh, anointing the most holy. Okay, okay, this was about anointing the most holy. This, this is not about uh, a gap. It's not about an antichrist. It's not about a tribulation, it, except for the, the tribulation on the Jews at the, at the That's destruction right. of Jerusalem, which he, this prophecy also 
is very pointed in, in talking about in, in the latter verses, the desolation and the destruction, which points to the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which, which, which comports with what you were talking about earlier, the Olivet Discourse and all of the prophecies of the New Testament and the Old Testament that look forward to uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. So every, all that fits together. But, but it takes away from Christ, and it takes away from his new covenant and, and what he did on the cross and, and the covenant that he made with, with the church, the body of Christ, and how he fulfilled everything that was prophesied of him and everything that was, that was given in type of him, all of the types of the law, everything that was symbolic about the law. Everything that was in the ordinances and 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 the, uh, the the Sabbaths and all of all of the ceremonial law of Moses, all of that pointed to Christ, and He came in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, the types, the symbols, the ceremonies. He fulfilled everything. The 490 years where Israel failed to obey God's law, the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, and the Day of Atonement, Christ came and fulfilled that, which is really the focus of this, of this prophecy, the fulfillment of what Israel failed to do, what God required under the Mosaic Law, and Israel failed to do. He, Messiah, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, came, Savior of the world, Redeemer of mankind, Messiah of Israel, came and gave himself on that cross, died, rose from the dead, and in himself fulfilled everything that had, had been failed to, to, to perform by the Israeli priests, uh, the Israelite priests and, and the Israelite law, and everything that they had not done, Jesus did. And so it's all about Christ. And, and to make this prophecy to be about Antichrist, and to make it to be about an Antichrist tribulation and an Antichrist uh, war on Israel and an Antichrist. You know, this thing is so bizarre. If you put it on a graph, and I have, I've, I've got the graphs, and, and you can look at all the various interpretations of prophecy, and they all, even the ones that, that I disagree with, they, they, they're all straight to the point, they make sense. And 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 they're and they're Christ-based and every you know okay you don't agree but but yeah you can see it it's fine you get to this premillennial dispensationalism graph and I'm telling you man it's so bizarre it's all over the world it looks like my son-in-law's uh, drawing of a 50-story building that that he would draw you know it's so convoluted you can't believe it and and the thing about it is is that it. I believe what, what has happened here, it has totally confused people to the real truth of Jesus Christ, to the real truth of Christ's redemption, to the real truth of, of the body of Christ and the work of Christ under the new covenant. And it puts this great separation between uh, Israel and the church, and it, it makes Israel a preeminent institution, and it makes the church a second-class citizen. And it's got all this future for Israel that of, of course is not there, and the re, the result is you've got people all over the country, Christians all over the country, who are predicating not only their 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 Christian lives but their political lives. Yep. Think think about the political impact 
that this false interpretation of Israel-based prophecy has has made upon the world. I, I mean, our entire country, our, our military excursions, our, our foreign policy, uh, the, the billions of dollars that we send to, to the Zionist state of Israel, an, an antichrist, atheist state that hates, hates Christ, hates Christians, hates the Bible, it, 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 and and we believe that they're God's chosen people, and we've 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 celebrated that, and we've we've built an entire doctrine of theology around them. Whenever we have the clear teaching of Scripture in not just Daniel but other prophecies of of, of God's judgment upon them, and the new covenant which God used to to bring glory to Himself through Jew and Gentile in one body in Christ. And they 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 miss all of that, Tim. And and as a result, this thing has, has has caused death and destruction of untold magnitude throughout the 20th century and now into the 21st century. Millions of people have been killed, have died. The the persecutions, the the political unrest. Look at what's happened to America in the last 70 years since we've adopted this premillennial dispensationalist point of view. This is a very new doctrine. It's not historic at all in Christian history. And look what's happened to the world. Look what's happened to America. Where are we at spiritually today? Where are we at politically? Where are we at socially? Where are we at culturally? Where are we at financially? Where are we at educationally? Where where are we at as a nation compared to where we were 70 years ago? And 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 you say, well, it, what's happened? There's only one major difference, and that is the adaptation of this erroneous, I believe, devilish doctrine of Christian Zionism that has permeated the evangelical churches. Yeah, I completely agree, and I apologize to the audience. I was showing the remaining, and then I was looking up something where you were talking. Just wanted to ask you, because I know you got to go, because we're over a little bit with our time with you. But I, I just kind of was curious. Have you ever read the book Evidence of the Truth of the Christian Religion? It's by Alexander Keith. Okay, all right. Uh, we're going to pause right here a second. And how did you like that morph? That was kind of cool um, for those in the video audience. Uh, we're going to pause right here. We're going to pick it up on the other side once we close out the show here. Um, and uh, we're going to, because there's a little bit more, there's about uh, five or six minutes of Chuck. And then I want to make a couple of comments. So you guys hang on. If you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, join us on sonsoflibertymedia.com, right side of the page, uh, before it's news.com, top of the page, or Rumble. Go to Rumble and look up Sons of Liberty Radio Live and join us over there. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Have a great day. Catch Bradley at 3. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be back with you for the weekend, 6 a.m. tomorrow. See you. Okay, want to take time to um, welcome those who are coming over from Red State Talk Radio. We appreciate you guys hanging on. Um, a lot of people in the chat, I, I'm trying to, my main chat is right here in front of me and then I'm having to watch rumble cause I can't get the chat there because of the way we stream, but I'm trying to watch uh, the folks over there as well. Um, th this is very important and you're, you're hearing uh, pastor Baldwin give the import. This has real life implications. We're, you're going to hear that here at the, um, uh, end of what we're talking about. So, let me continue over here with uh, the interview, and then I'll make a few comments after. I have not. I'd highly recommend that. We did a <clears throat> a video when I was at Nicene Council uh, called 70 AD, and we just took the whole second chapter, cited it, 
and put it in because this is one of the he was a 19th century author. It's one of the most clearest evidence where he walks through uh, the uh, the Olivet Discourse and he points out this is what happened. Jesus had pronounced this, and that's all part of what Daniel's talking about there, what Christ is coming to do. And if people want to find the tribulation, well, you find it right there in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. You find Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling the very thing that you read at the beginning of this out of Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to utterly destroy you. And when Jesus looked at the the women who were weeping for him, what did he say? He -hmm. said, don't weep for me, weep for you and your children. When he looked... When the crowd said, give us Barabbas, crucify this guy, his blood be upon our heads. And yeah, that's exactly what happened because they didn't know the day of their visitation. And Daniel, I'm telling you, I we may be off a little bit on days uh, between looking at things, how it is, but God is perfect in his timetable. And he sent Jesus right when he was supposed to come. And the people didn't know it. They didn't know that the Messiah was going to come in the midst because they were ignorant of what the scriptures had said. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, uh, that sounds like my message that I brought, uh, 2019, I brought a message called the destruction of Jerusalem and it's in the Israel packages that I'm talking about, which led up to the prophecy series that we're beginning now. And I went into, into great depth, uh, studying that for for many months before I brought that message. And I I show how the scriptures that you're referring to, in fact, the the text that I used was Matthew 24. And I went verse by verse, phrase by phrase, through that chapter. And I showed how that that was not talking primarily at all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It was talking about God's coming in judgment on the nation of Israel and Jerusalem in particular, in 70 AD. And I, and I brought out the entire history of that, and I went into great detail to describe how that event took place. And, you know, it's, it's really amazing when you get into that study, because even the Roman general that was the one that is, is credited with the destruction of Jerusalem, that's Flavius Titus, uh, Vespasianus was his full name, son of Vespasius. And he, as this battle was beginning to unfold, he, and Josephus bears this out, he, he, made, he made it very clear that he did not want to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And he did not want to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the city of Jerusalem had such great historical value uh, in his mind, and uh, even though he had to do what he had to do as a as a general to put down this revolt, he he did he wanted to spare the city and he wanted to spare the temple. He made every effort. He commanded his his uh, his generals to, you know, to to go to to any length, you know, to not destroy it, don't burn it. Uh, we're going to take it without destroying it. And and in spite of everything he did, he could not save it. And and as as the city was burning and as he was watching the temple burn and the city burn and, and it's a it's a horrific it's the it's the worst military slaughter in world history. To this day, there has never been another another military slaughter like this one 
between one and two million could have been closer. I think it was closer to two million Jews were were killed in in that in that siege. Uh, the blood in some parts of the city was up to the the horse bridle. Yep, it was it was horrific. There there were so many people that were that were dead that, that the, the Roman soldiers couldn't even walk through the streets without stepping on bodies. You couldn't find a spot to walk. That's and Josephus records that. He records yes, that for people does. to read. And yeah, I, And I go into a lot of Josephus' uh, history on that. And he was, at, my point is, here was Titus, and he's watching all this, and he knows in his heart he did everything he could to prevent that. And this is the commanding general of the Roman army who says, I don't want to destroy the city, I don't want to destroy the temple, and yet it's all being destroyed. And in the somewhere in the middle of all that, Josephus records uh, Titus as looking up to heaven and saying, this must be the work of God, because I didn't want this to happen, and yet I was powerless to prevent it. it, it, it it's, uh, and when you understand all the prophecies relative to that destruction, including Matthew 24 that you alluded to, and then you realize that even in the midst of the time when it was happening, and pagan general that was, that was the one that was overseeing its destruction didn't want it to happen, tried to prevent it from happening, but couldn't, because this was a divine judgment of God in fulfillment of the prophecy right. that God had given in both testaments, and that was also included in, in the book of Daniel, of course. Yeah. Pastor Baldwin, I know you have to go. Thank you for staying over with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I, I tell you, this <clears throat> this you made mention of it. I was going to ask and I'll, I'll make some comments uh, after you know we play the, the interview here. But the implications of wrong doctrine, it, you, you made it beautifully. Millions of people have lost their lives because of wrong doctrine. Millions yeah. of countries are enslaved because of wrong doctrine. Our finances, our education, because of wrong doctrine, just everything, everything can be affected if we are not adhering to the Word of God and we make errors in that. And so it's very important that we get those things right, and uh, we appreciate you being back with us again. Thank you very much, Jim, and keep up the good work. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. And there goes Pastor Baldwin. Okay, all right, that is the conclusion of the interview, and I'm going to make a couple of comments, because some of you, especially over at DLive, Mr. Woodworth, he, he always gets <laughs> words, word, word, wordworth. Did I got that right? Wordsworth. <laughs> it's a little tongue twisting in the morning. Um, I appreciate all of the things that he put in. One of the things he did was something I learned years ago. There was a Jesuit uh, who had actually kind of pitched forth uh, this idea of, you know, rapture and, and, you know, dispensation. He was kind of pitching it forward. And um, this is where the guy who set up this prophecy conference that Chuck Ball was talking about, this is where he got his idea. So I remember that. This was like, gosh, this has been 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's been a long time. So I appreciate you bringing that back to mind. The important thing is that we get what the text says. You know, we, we get what it actually says. And part of this, I want to take you back into some things here. Um, just to to clarify some stuff, okay? Because Pastor Baldwin takes a little different approach than I do as far as when that last seven years goes, what happens in the midst, and when it ends. And so I I just kind of want to give you mine. Again, we're going to have Pastor Baldwin's message up in the archives, 
So if you're interested in that and, and seeing the entire message, uh, we'll have that in the archive, so you, you won't have to look far for it. Okay, so let me let me just jump back off here uh, into da- Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to give you a few scriptures for you to check out for yourself. All right, so in Daniel chapter 9, it tells us, uh, and I've got people up this morning, so uh, you're going to hear some noise, and I apologize for that. Um, it says that uh, from the going, verse 25, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So that's the 483 years. So, um, you know, I was sharing with a friend in the chat, uh, it didn't start in 1500s. It, it started when the command to rebuild Jerusalem, I mean, it says it in the text, to rebuild Jerusalem happened. That happened, um, you know, some hundreds of years before Christ came, Okay. So that happens, and then the street shall be built again, the walls even in troublesome times. And then it says, and after the three score and two weeks, that's completing all of the 483 uh, weeks, 483 years. I know that gets confusing, but I'm trying to just stick with the Bible and then interpret it into the years for you so you understand what's going on. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself? Who was Christ cut off for? He was cut off for his people. He is the one. He is the one who who bore our sins in his own body. He is the one. The Bible says that became sin for us. The one who knew no sin. Okay. And um, let's see. Let's see. He says, "And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary." Now he's talking about what Pastor Baldwin mentioned there in just a minute a minute ago with uh, with Titus and the people, uh, the Roman armies coming. I'm going to show you those in just a moment, too. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the de- end of the war's desolations are determined. Now, look at this. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, this is the last week. It goes right in there. Who's the he? Is it the prince that shall come and destroy the city? No. This is all about the Christ. The whole thing is about the Christ. What he's to do, we see that back here in verse 24. We see when he's to come. We see um, when he's to be cut off. We see when he's going to confirm a covenant. Okay? He'll confirm the covenant with many, not all, not every single individual in the world, but with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Now, real quick, this is not hard. To, this is actually really easy to understand. So we have in the Gospel of Luke, this is what it says, chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. He's not 30. He's about 30. Being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Okay? So this could be... 29 and a half, okay? Now, what do we know about Jesus' ministry? How long did Jesus minister on earth? All you guys, you learned this in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, three and a half years. You can follow the feasts and the time where he started, where he appeared there and he showed up to be baptized before John, or by John, and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus shows up. He's 29 and a half years old. He ministers for three and a half years, and then we find on the night of his betrayal, before he's to be crucified, listen to what he does. This comes from Matthew 26 and verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This is, 
This is not what Rome says. He's not taking a piece of bread and saying, hey, eat my body. You know, he's not saying this is going to turn into flesh, transubstantiation. The Bible warns against cannibalism. and Don't do it. Don't do it. It's com- you're not to be involved in that, okay? So Jesus is not going to tell you to do something that he's already given in his law not to do. And yes, Jesus is the lawgiver, by the way. He's the one who gave the Old Testament law, wrote it with his finger on the, on the stone uh, tablets for Moses to take down. He's the one who gave the law to Moses in Deuteronomy and such, okay? He's saying, I'm showing you what's fixing to happen that I've been telling you about that you guys don't believe is going to happen. This is my body. It's symbolized in the bread. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. Now pay attention to the words here. And gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, or some of the newer translations, I think, give it a better understanding. A new covenant, which is shed for who? What Daniel said, shed for many for the remission of sins. Okay? All right, so that ties right back into three and a half years, midst of the week, that last week that Daniel talked about. He is cut off, but not for himself. It's for the many for the remission of sins. Do you guys see that? I mean, it's, to me, this seems, this is so, this is real easy to understand, real, real easy to understand. And so he does this, and he's already told the people, we go to Matthew chapter 24, he's already told them what's coming because they've rejected him. If you remember, they come in, he comes into the city in the Passion Week, and all of the, pe- all of the people, excuse me, are are praising him. Let's take it. Let's take it over to Luke chapter nineteen. Here's what he says. Uh, they, he tells his disciples to go get this colt. He's going to ride in on the colt, and um, which is what Isaiah said that he would do. And then we find in verse thirty-five of Luke chapter nineteen, it says, "And they brought him to Jesus. That's the colt. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes on the way." And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Yep, just like he used a uh, dumb donkey to speak to Balaam that we talked about the other week. Uh, He'll use the rocks to praise his name, right? And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. And listen to what he says. Verse 42 of Luke chapter 19. If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. This is 70 AD, where the Romans surrounded the city. And compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. You don't see any of that over there in Israel. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Friends, that is, that is powerful. They don't know the times. Jesus would warn the Pharisees. He says, you can look to the sky and you can see when it's going to rain and when it's not going to rain, but you don't know the day of your visitation. Daniel mapped it out to the day. 
He mapped it out when he would be there, and they ignored it. And they've, they've suffered the wrath of God because of it. They didn't know these things. And quickly, what does it tell us about, uh, you know, do we have a proper interpretation about the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem? Yes, we do. We can go to Matthew 24. We can go to Luke 21. I made mention of this in my talk about Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore, and listen, Jesus is not writing to us. He's not speaking to us. He's speaking to his disciples in the first century, okay? This is part of hermeneutics, is knowing who the author is, who he's writing to, what the time is, what the circumstances are, and you you exegete or or derive the the meaning from the text. You don't read into the text your, you know, newspaper theology or any of this kind of stuff. So he says this. He says, when you see, therefore, excuse me, when you therefore see, shall see the abomination of desolation. That was what we read about at the end of, of Daniel. And he says, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then Matthew includes these this thing here because he knows people are going to read what he writes. He says, whoso readeth, let him understand. Okay. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath, for then shall be great tribulation. You want to know when the great tribulation occurs? It happened in 70 AD. It's not out in our future. It happened in 70 AD. Such was as was not since the beginning of the world at this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, who's he talking? He's talking about the, the, when he's talking about no flesh. Be, he's talking about within the city, among, those, among the people of God, there are, covenant, there are covenant breakers and there are covenant keepers. And he told his people, if you read back at the first part of that, he told his people to flee when they saw the army surrounding. You say, where did it say that? It said abomination of desolation. Well, I'm going to show you. Because if you parallel Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, they're all the same, they're all the same scenario. He is pointing out the Olivet Discourse. Each of these writers are doing that. This is why this is why I believe John didn't have an Olivet Discourse. I believe the book of Revelation is his Olivet Discourse. That's how I understand that. But here over here in Luke 21, if you read these in parallel, sometimes they say things and they leave other things out that the other writer brings in. Okay, So here is Luke 21, and he says this. Verse 19, in your patience possess ye your souls. Remember, in Luke 21, it's the same thing as Matthew 24. He's talking about the same stuff. And when ye shall see Jerusalem, what? Compassed with armies. Then know that it's what? What, What's that word? Desolation thereof is nigh. And then he tells them the same thing. Then let them flee, or then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. How many things? All things that are fulfilled. You remember Daniel said he's he's coming to seal up the vision and, and close up the prophecy. And we see at the end of Luke. In, uh, what is it, chapter 24, 
after his resurrection, he takes the disciples and he opens up their understanding and he says, Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, they're talking about me. They're talking about me, guys. I am the fulfillment of it all. Okay? So people running around saying, oh, they're gonna, they need to build a third temple. And Christians praising that stuff. Have you guys not read Hebrews? <laughs> the writer of Hebrews says that if you, if you push that stuff, if you go back to it, if you, if you idolize it or whatever you're doing with it, if you do that, you're counting the blood of the Son of God a common thing and you're trampling under your feet. You're in essence taking the work of Christ and making out to be abomination. What in the world are you doing? Stop doing that stuff. There's another one that I want to hit on real quick. Um, I think. <laughs> I thought I had it pulled up. Um, Luke chapter... Uh, no, I read this one. I read this one. So, so let, me, let me just wrap this up. I just wanted to make these comments. So... Mr. Uh, Wordsworth wanted me to put up this this deal here, so I'm going to do that. Um, I had to bring it up here. This is two different things of the same thing, okay? Uh, Daniel's prophecy. And you'll see that this, the first part, the 483 years, is, is shown by this big thing here. So you've got the seven weeks. This is the 49 years that they rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. That's what's here. You'll see it down here, too. And then you'll see this time gap that's here. And included in that is the time where God was silent. The people recognized he was silent. This is why the Apocrypha, the Pseudepigrapha books, and all this other stuff are not the Word of God. They're not. They weren't stored up in the temple. Uh, the people did not recognize them as the Word of God. So if, if you're still stuck on that stuff, I mean, I'm not saying, look, I, I don't think that there's a problem with, I, I've, I've enjoyed reading some apocrypha books, especially the Maccabees. I, I think there's some history there, and I don't deny that that's history. I think it's, that's much different than what Mormons claim is history. Um, there is real history there, but it's not the Word of God. There's a big difference there, okay? So you've got this going on. Now, let me make mention of this. They start this out at 457 B.C., right? as to when that command went forth to do it. Now, I, I think Pastor Chuck said, you know, he was going up to 33 AD, but most historians recognize that Jesus was probably not born on what I would say is 0, zero AD or 1 AD in that, in that time frame, but rather that he was born probably 2 BC. The calendar is probably off just a little bit, okay? So, like, I don't know, whatever that would be, <laughs> 2 BC. All right, um, and so what we what they have is they have him coming and being baptized, or his start of his earthly ministry in 27 A.D. And he ministers for what three and a half years. Then we get to what I read, where he is taking the bread and the cup right before he goes to the cross to confirm the covenant. Right to confirm the covenant, and he's cut off in the midst of that week. That's what Daniel says. Right. So he confirms that covenant, and then three and a half years later, we see where Stephen is stoned, and as a result of that, the believers begin to scatter out of Jerusalem. Many of them have already gone back into Asia Minor and other places that they've lived, 
even though they will come back for you know certain feasts and things. But the people began to scatter, and they began to go out. And I believe that's when God says, okay, Jerusalem, you've had your chance. You've had—now the judgment's on. It's just on. It's going to come, and you're going to perish, except for those who obeyed the words of Christ and got out of the city. Now, I'll have that linked up in the, uh, in the archive for you a little bit later on. But what I want you to get is this. Our doctrine has consequences. The only reason we are in the Middle... Well, let me change that. There are many reasons we're in the Middle East. Uh, people, you know, criminals, corporations, and other, others seeking to make money off the blood of our sons and daughters. Okay? No disrespect to veterans, but every war since World War II has been an illegal, unconstitutional war, and those of you who took the oath, I wish you'd have stood up and said, I'm not going. This is illegal. This is unconstitutional. No disrespect to you. I just wish you would have done that. I wish men today would do it, because I'll tell you, they come from my boys, and I know what they're doing. I told my boys, I said, Dad will come here and fight with you here. I'd rather die with you here than have you used as cannon fodder for some corporation to make money. Okay? Just, that's how, that's what I think. They're criminals. The D.C. Uh, organized crime syndicate wants to murder us. They want to enslave us. They have been enslaving us. All, the, all those little dollar bills that you're, you're paying, I don't want to get off on a tangent, all those dollar bills you're paying are promises to pay. So you're a slave. You keep giving, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. That's what you keep giving them, I owe you's. You never own it. Somebody was making mention in the chat. They're coming after the properties. Yep, that's exactly what they're doing. That's why you've got to get the debt off of you. And hopefully I'm going to have more to say on that in the coming days, okay? Um, but it's not just that. Think of the millions of people in the Middle East who've been killed. Look, you know me. I don't agree with Islamic doctrine. I hate it. It's Antichrist. I don't agree with Judaism. It's Antichrist too, okay? But the fact of the matter is we have been involved in killing innocent, innocent people towards us. They haven't done anything to us. They've, they've offended God, no question about that. Well, that's why we should be bringing them the gospel rather than bullets, okay? And I can't blame those people for coming out and wanting to defend their land, their homes, I don't blame any of those men for doing that. But the fact of the matter is, why are we over there? The large majority is to protect little old Israel over there, the Antichrist state Israel, and say that we're somehow doing God a favor, an Israel favor, because they're God's chosen people. No, they're not. They're not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are Antichrist. They are against Christ. They want a world without Christ. And they're in need of repentance, too. And if you don't believe me, there was a guy who contacted Dr. Baldwin from Israel who became a Christian, and what he says is, when I became a Christian, the IDF and all kinds of other people came around and started persecuting me because I was a Christian. You need to, if you're a person that thinks that the modern state postage stamp piece of land, Israel, is the biblical Israel, you really need to get into your Bible. You really do. And you need to correct, have that error corrected. And I don't say that with any kind of meanness or superiority. You need to have that corrected. 
That is part of the problem of our culture. And it stems down into our domestic politics, too. Here in South Carolina, the, the knuckleheads down here representatives, you know what they did? They, they made a pretended law. That's what I'm going to call it. It's not a real law. It's a pretended law because it violates the First Amendment. But they said, oh, you people who want to boycott Israel, well, that's going to be a crime now. Now, look, I'm not for Rashida Lame or Omar or any of those cats up there because I know what they have in mind. They're criminals. Uh, they're criminals here in this country, and they have animosity towards Israel. Now, some of that animosity is probably legitimate. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it is not born out of uh, a sense of wanting the best even for the people the, the Israelis. I'm not and I'm talking about their government when I speak of Israel. But here's the thing. You and I have the right to protest anybody and anything that we want to. That is a protected right, a God-given right we're given or that we are that is established in the first amendment. As soon as it says we have the right to peacefully assemble, right? That also implies that we can separate ourselves from people that we don't want to assemble with. Right? And so all of this kind of comes in together. And you see the bad theology. They want to protect Israel. They want to protect Israel. And we've had the shows on the Noahide laws. They're not biblical laws. And who, who are those aimed at? It's aimed at anybody who won't follow along with the Zionist stuff here. It's aimed at, dare I say it, Christians and others. It's, it's aimed at other people who won't go along with them. This is the issue. And why? Because hundred, a couple hundred years ago, men fell into this error. Other men began to promote it. People like C.I. Schofield really did a job on it and put it in his Bible. That man was a wicked man, by the way. If you, in fact, let me point to this. If you can find this, it's a great talk. This was a, a DVD that I uh, produced some years ago. David Lutzweiler was the speaker, and unfortunately, the Nicene Council who I work for ended up selling it, and now whoever owns it and all doesn't make it anymore. I think I might have a copy um, digitally, and I may try to upload that just so you know people can take a look at it. It's a great talk, uh, but he. But if you can't get the DVD or if you can't see it online, then he has a book called The Praise of Folly, The Enig- Enigmatic Life and Theology of C.S. Schofield. Now, David has, has gone to be with the Lord. Um, he had some kind of a cancer with his mouth and stuff. You know, he really thought God was going to give him much more time to to do the things that uh, he believed he was going to do. But this right here, I tell you, for people who get into uh, Schofield and such, you ought to read this. This guy was a reprobate. He was a wicked, wicked man. And yet, many Christians carry a Bible with his name on it, the C.I. Schofield Reference Bible, and all his heresies are all in there. And if you want to know why we are where we are, it's be- I think a large part, this is the thing that's hamstrung the American church. It's why I say, this, look, there are many Christians 
and I would say they're genuine Christians because of what the gospel that they hold to, and oftentimes their actions betray their theology, so I'm glad to see that. But the fact of the matter is, this is so important because it has affected our domestic policy, our monetary policy, our education system, our foreign policy. There is so much. Why? Because some men erred in their understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Let me tell you, let me end with this. Can some of us have different interpretations and come together and stuff, and we, and we talk about that and we see, okay, we're to reason from the Scriptures, right? We're to see in the context of what it says. We may have little differences there, but even if we have little differences, I'm going to say this. The Bible means one thing. It only has one interpretation. If we're wrong, it's not the Bible's fault. It's ours. There's only one interpretation. And once we get the right interpretation, we can make hundreds, thousands of applications, but we have to get the interpretation right. And people will say, oh, these new, these new versions, uh, this, that, and the other, and there's all kinds of Bibles. No, there's not. There's one. It's written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. There are multiple translations, no question about that. Some of them are good, and some of them are really bad. And then there are paraphrases, which you really should stay away from. But the one who studies the Word of God is going to have to begin to go back into original language, whether you know the language or not. There are tools out there. There are teachers who can help you with that. That's why God has given, Ephesians 4, He's given us teachers, right, pastors, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So there's no excuse for the American church, for you listening to me today, there's no excuse for us being ignorant in this matter. There's just, we don't have an excuse. We have tools like, I mean, I got the Bible and, you know, a bazillion books on here on my Kindle, (laughs) on my phone, in my pocket. I can go look up whatever I want to look up and learn. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. Um, If you don't know, you can fix your ignorance. You can. I'm fixing mine. I'm in a progressive uh, move to fix my ignorance. Things that I don't know, I need to learn. You can't fix stupid because stupid people are just going to be hardheads. That's what it means, dull and insensitive. But you can fix your ignorance. We can all do that. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions, too. I had a, I'll end with this. I had a brother, he was amazed that, uh, you know, in, in the, tr- the circles I run in, when you go to a church, you get to, you know, you'll have fellowship with each other and you'll be eating and drinking and talking and stuff and, and you're, you'll have these theological discussions and you'll ask questions and you'll have these kinds of things, these answers back and forth so that you can understand. Because what were the, how do, how do people learn? They learn by asking questions. I talked to you about catecheo, the catechism, all right? You, you teach but then you also open up to questions because people have questions and they want to understand. And the elders, both at the church I'm at now and the previous church I was at, love to have that. They love to have that conversation because they were finding out they were learning too. And when this guy came down, he was so surprised. He said, up in my place, if you get a, an elder and you're trying to, to have a conversation like that, trying, he says, they get frustrated with you. I said, well, then maybe you need to find another church. That's what they're called to do is to teach. 
If they're frustrated at you having questions and wanting to learn, maybe they don't need to be in that pulpit. Or maybe you don't need to be in that church, whatever the case is. I want to encourage you. Ask questions. I loved when I would even ask you know, some of my elders questions, and sometimes they'd go, you know, I've, I've never thought about that. Let me, let me take a look, and I'll get back to you. They, they admitted, I don't know. I haven't considered that. That's not a bad thing. It means they have to go to the Lord, and they have to learn too. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Uh, I hope today has been informative. I hope it's been edifying and building you up uh, in the truth so that you're able to do the work of ministry. With that said, Bradley will be on at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you at 6 a.m. in the morning. See you.